I'm Brett McGarry. This week on The Couch Potatoes, we'll tell you about a landmark new show debuting this weekend on Global. Plus... I'm Jeff Braun. I'll take a look back at a classic that celebrated an anniversary this week. You feel me? Oh, yeah. And one of the biggest surprise hits of the last year comes home. First, it's the news... From the couch. What's the line? Saving people, hunting things, the family business. That is a clip from one of my favorite shows, Supernatural, which is going to collide with one of everyone's favorite shows, Scooby-Doo. Zoinks! Are you sure this is the right way to the Beauregard Play, Scoob? Yeah, I think so. Supernatural stars Jensen Ackles and Jared Padalecki as Dean and Sam Winchester, two brothers who fight monsters and demons and Lucifer and save the world and stuff. It airs Thursday nights on The CW and Space and is in its 13th season. This week marked the release of the first footage of Scooby Natural when The CW released a promo showing the brothers getting sucked into their television. Thursday, March 29th, the Winchesters get animated. I'm We're in Scooby-Doo. That's the Scooby Gang. Dibs on Daphne. Supernatural. All new Thursday, March 29th on The CW. Yeah, Dean likes to chase girls. Specifically, they get sucked into the 1970 episode of Scooby-Doo, A Night of Fright is No Delight. And we'll see the boys' 1967 black Chevrolet Impala ride alongside the mystery machine. To mark the occasion, Hot Topic has t-shirts ready to go with Sam and Dean alongside Scooby and the gang. Supernatural is unique in that it does meta-television better than probably any other show out there. Some of its most memorable episodes have involved goofy stuff like this, like in Season 5 where they get trapped in TV land in an episode called Changing Channels where they start in an 80s sitcom... From there, they bounce to a Japanese game show, a herpes commercial, a sexy medical drama, even a CSI Miami-style crime procedural. What do we got? Well, aside from the ligature marks around his neck, he has what appears to be a roll of quarters jammed down his throat. Well, I say... Jackpot. Hmm. Also... There was a stab wound to the lower abdomen there. Well, I say... No guts, no glory. <laughs> it actually went on for like another oh, 30 seconds. Good. Then in season six, they ended up in an alternate universe where they were in a TV show called Supernatural. In a world where the real and the unreal collide, two brothers will find themselves... <laughs> On a soundstage. Marker. Jared. Jensen. That was just great. And on that soundstage, they'll learn to live. These are words of a script. Love. It was work today. And play the actors who play them in real life. You're Jensen Ackles, and I'm something called a Jared Padalecki. What, now you're Polish? So the Scooby Natural episode of Supernatural airs on March 29th. Until then... Seriously? Take hey. You're the one who said play our roles, so... Yeah. Uh, yeah, right. 
we've got genital herpes. Don't you cry no more. 007 reporting for duty. Where the hell have you been? Enjoying death. Some definitive news about the next James Bond movie came out this week. It has been three years since the last time we saw 007. This organization, do you know what it's called? Its name is Spectre. Spectre did better than Daniel Craig's first two cracks at Bond, Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace, but only made two-thirds of what Craig's third Bond, Skyfall, made back in 2012. Craig even said he was sick of playing Bond and for a while didn't look like he would do another one, but he is coming back and he's bringing director Danny Boyle with him. Boyle has a great resume, of course. He won the Oscar for Slumdog Millionaire in 2008. Welcome to Who Wants to Be a Millionaire! Doctors, lawyers never get beyond 16,000 rupees. He's on 10 million. What can our slum dog possibly know? He went on the show because I thought she'd be watching. She's my destiny. Boyle also made the two train spotting movies. Missed you, man. I missed you too, Spot. And he was Oscar nominated for directing 127 Hours. It's never easy to say. I'm gonna have to saw your arms off. They'll grow back, right? Oh, yeah. Homer, <laughs> <laughs> are you just holding on to the can? Your point being? <laughs> 127 hours totally ripped off that Simpsons episode where Homer's arms were stuck in the vending machines. At any rate, Boyle and train spotting writer John Hodge are working on the James Bond script right now, and they're refusing to offer any other details. Bond 25, as it's known now, will hit theaters November 2019. It was me, James. The author of all your pain. The first trailer has arrived for the sequel to the Harry Potter spin-off Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. I have some questions for you, Professor. This is a surprise. There's a rumor that Newt Scamander is headed to Paris. I know he's working under your orders. What do you have to say for yourself, Dumbledore? If you'd ever had the pleasure to teach him, you'd know Newt is not a great follower of orders. It's Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald, and there's actually a huge controversy in the wizarding world over something that happens in this trailer. Details on that in a moment. First, a quick recap. Fantastic Beasts is a spin-off franchise centering around British wizard and magizoologist Newt Scamander, played by Jeff Braun's favorite, Eddie Redmayne. That film was first uh, set in 1926, and it brought Newt to the United States, which was kind of cool. We hadn't left the borders of England until Fantastic Beasts. It debuted in November 2016 to decent reviews. It made big money, $234 million world domestic, $814 million worldwide. Now we have the sequel, in which Jude Law plays Professor Dumbledore, who is the big cheese headmaster of Hogwarts school from the original Harry Potter stories, and Johnny Depp plays the evil wizard Grindelwald, who is in the custody of the Magical Congress of the United States of America, 
in the last film, but he escapes. The time's coming, Newt. When you're gonna have to pick a side. Are you going somewhere? No, we're going somewhere. Genius. On to the controversy. There is a scene in the trailer which shows a bunch of witches and wizards apparating into the grounds of Hogwarts. Apparating is basically teleportation, the act of magically transporting yourself instantly from one place to another to suddenly appear. It's a controversy because it was a major plot point in all of the Harry Potter stories that Hogwarts was protected against apparition. So I'm guessing it's either at the edge of the grounds where they apparate, or the wards against apparition didn't yet exist until in the late 1920s. Either way, I'm excited. It debuts November 16th. I can't move against Grindelwald. It has to be you. Quick aside, as I am on record as not being a fan of Eddie Redmayne, let me stress that eventually I probably will be, because in the past I have railed against guys like Vin Diesel and Kevin Costner, Keanu Reeves, and I'm a fan of all those guys. So That's true, Sometimes yeah. Sometimes it just takes 10, 15, 20 years for me to get them. <laughs> hey, that's good for you. You're a big man for admitting that, Jeff. All right, moving on. I'm a sucker for stuff that's set at sea, so I was interested by a trailer that came out this week for something called Adrift. So why Tahiti? What brought you here? I want to chase adventures. Hello, who's this guy? She has a way like a gold. What's it like sailing out there all alone? You're either sleep deprived or seasick, and after a few days, there's hallucinations. Why do you do it? It's a feeling I can't describe. Just you and the infinite horizon. Shailene Woodley plays an adventurous woman who falls for an adventurous man who's hired to sail a rich guy's sailboat across the Pacific Ocean. How would you like to sail the Hosanna into California for us? What do you think? I think a thousand miles is insane. I'm not going anywhere without you. Come sail with me. Bon voyage, lovers! But then they hit a mother of a storm, a Category 5 hurricane. Surviving the storm, though, was just the beginning as they are left in pretty bad shape. We're thousands of miles from land. We're not in any flight paths. That's like a 1,500-square-mile search area. A needle in a blue haystack. Is anybody there? My ribs are broken. My legs shattered. I'm dead weight. I've been sailed to Hawaii. It's like a 2,000-mile shot at a moving target. If you miss Hawaii... If we miss Hawaii, we die. That is a lot of problems to have all at once. It's based on a true story. It looks intense, but I'm guessing she makes it in the end. Maybe he dies because he's played by sort of a no-name actor, Sam Claflin. Not a total no-name. He was Finnick in Hunger Games 2, Hunger Gamier, or whatever it's called. <laughs> but Shailene is clearly the big star in this movie. 
Five years ago, Robert Redford was in a movie called All Is Lost, where he became adrift in the ocean as well, and that, that was a terrific movie. I sort of hope they do a crossover and their two boats pass by each other in the middle of the night without them realizing it. Probably won't, though. Adrift opens June 1st. I sailed halfway around the world to find you. I'm not letting you go. Stand by alert. Death Star approaching. Estimated time to firing range, 15 minutes. No legendary adventure of the past could be as exciting as Star Wars. Here they come. The more you see it, this where the fun begins. The better it gets. You're coming in too fast! Star Wars, rated PG. Remember, the Force will be with you. Always. A big week for Star Wars creator George Lucas. He joined several elected officials in Los Angeles in breaking ground on a billion-dollar museum dedicated to the art of visual storytelling. The start of work on the project was a lifelong dream for the 73-year-old director who is self-financing the billion-dollar museum. And as we all know, Lucas never makes a mistake. Misa caught John Pinks. Misa, your humble servant. Excuse me. <laughs> The museum will hold paintings, photography, illustrations, cinematic art, and digital art from Lucas's personal collection, said to be worth about a billion dollars as well. And of course, there'll be a Star Wars exhibit. I got a bad feeling about this. I have a bad feeling about this. I have a bad feeling about this. Very bad feeling about this. Actually, it sounds pretty good. 300,000 square feet of floor space, five levels, built in 11 acres of park space in L.A. Lucas has been trying to get the museum project for more than a decade, trying to get it off the ground, and now construction is officially underway, and the museum's expected to open in 2021. Your power's a weak old man. You can't win, Darth. If you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. <laughs> That is a news from the couch, and uh, do you think uh, if there is an adrift crossover with that Robert Redford movie, we might also see Wilson go floating by? That would be amazing. <laughs> just float, so they stop and just, uh, volleyball goes by. Oh, I'd love that. <laughs> <laughs> the Rock <laughs> is welcomed to the jungle. Up next, you're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Brett McGarry, Jeff Braun, we are The Couch Potatoes, having a look at what is coming to home video this week, and why don't we start with this? Downsizing takes the pressure right off. Little. Especially money pressure. We live like kings. You just need to undergo the irreversible procedure. Welcome to the good life. Oh my god. What's that? Downsizing, starring Matt Damon, Jason Sudeikis, and a few other people. Uh, Christoph Waltz is in it, I believe. Um, it's an Alexander Payne movie, and it bombed hard when it came out at Christmas. Bad critical reviews and did not make any money at all, so that's definitely looking for Second Life on digital HD and Blu-ray DVD on Tuesday. But again, unfortunately, uh, a lot of the critics say, nah, it's not really a good one. And this Alexander Payne is usually... He he puts out this is his first bad movie really he did Nebraska the Descendants Sideways about Schmidt election and he's been nominated oh my god he's been he's been nominated for like four Academy Awards he's won two yeah for writing so yeah he's a that guy knows what he's doing I guess he just had to miss the target a little bit in this one I'm actually still kind of curious to see it it's a one where it's it's a fantasy thing or whatever where in the future the, the world's going to hell uh, you know, the environment's drying up or whatever, but the scientists have figured out a way how to shrink people to like half an inch tall. 
And then that way, you know, we can you can get so much more out of a loaf of bread when you're only half an inch tall. So yeah, they people they get people to volunteer to do it, and I guess uh, Matt Damon does it and learns a bit about life. Also on digital HD, Insidious: The Last Key, a scary movie. I'm sure you'll be uh, ordering that one, Jeff. What is that like? The third or fourth one in that? I think it's the fourth one. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Uh, Blu-ray and DVD, and I guess on demand features as well, like Shaw on Demand. Jumanji, welcome to the jungle. Yeah. Huge hit, massive hit, surprise hit. It made... I want to see it. Yeah, I do, I do too. You know what? I, I haven't seen the first one, but the first... Oh. Jumanji made is at $398 million domestic and $937 million worldwide. Pitch Perfect 3 is also available. Yep. And then, oh, Downsizing also available on hard copy right. as well. So yeah, that Jumanji thing though, because, you know, when they announced it and even showed the trailers and we were just like, are you kidding me? First of all, why are movies from the 90s being remade now? Yeah. That was insane. And then, yeah, it just, you know, it seems so was like, no way this thing's going to be the biggest movie of the year and it just might be. Up next, Jeff, we'll celebrate an anniversary of one of the best shows to never be recognized by Emmy. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff, he's Brett, and this past week was the 10th anniversary of the end of one of the greatest shows of all time, HBO's The Wire. It's Baltimore, gentlemen. The gods will not save you. The game is out there, and it's either play or get played. The game is rigged, but you cannot lose if you do not play. The game ain't in me no more. Where the f*** is Wallace? Huh? String! String! Look at me! Look at me! Where the f*** is Wallace? Huh? So one thieving politician trumps 22 dead bodies. Good to know. Yo, this is my corner. I ain't running nowhere. Oh, Bodie, is you crazy? He does not get to win. We get to win. All the pieces matter. When you walk through the garden now, as it happens, I've been re-watching The Wire. I didn't even know the anniversary was upon us. It's just a nice little coincidence I realized this week. I just finished season three. There are five total. It's the third time I've watched the series all the way through. If you've never seen or heard about The Wire, or on the surface, it's a cops and robbers, usually drug gangs, show set in Baltimore. But it's really about the death of the American dream and how corrupt institutions stomp all over anyone trying to make life better by bucking the status quo. The status quo always wins because... It's always the easiest route. It's frankly depressing when you think about it, but the show is also wildly entertaining. It's dang near perfect. Like most of its fans, I missed it when it was actually on between 2002 and 2008. We all owe David Simon an apology on that point because even if your show is great when no one watches it while it's on the air, it's hard to keep it going and the renewal of The Wire was not a slam dunk from year to year as it went along. If it started now, it would be a big hit. It would get immediate eyeballs and after episode three, the word of mouth would be so strong people would be jumping on so fast. But the TV landscape is also a lot more different now than it was when The Wire debuted in 2002. Before The Wire, there weren't really any shows like it and now... Just about all the cable and streaming shows are like it, at least as far as its presentation goes. You know, self-contained seasons. The Wire is somewhere between a continuing series and an anthology show. If you start at the beginning of a season, you're good, but you're even better if you start at the beginning of the series. Each season tells one long story. Episodes are somewhat episodic, but they really do bleed into each other. It is built for binge-watching. And watching just one, at least to start, doesn't really work. I always used to advise new viewers of The Wire to watch at least three three episodes the first night so they could really get a sense of it because it's very complex it's got its own rhythm and that shows before it didn't have 
And then it just takes its time building its world. So three episodes, it really takes that long to get a sense of the whole thing. Now, I mean, all the shows are doing that. People are used to watching shows in bunches. So I just say, go ahead, watch The Wire. You'll dig it. Because I know people will watch three the first night or at least in a weekend they'll watch half a dozen. Of course, even though it was ahead of its time in that regard and now the world's caught up to it, The Wire does still stand head and shoulders ahead of the rest. There's a lot of good to very good TV right now, more so than there's probably ever been. But there is not a lot of great TV Game of Thrones is as close as it gets, uh, but, I mean, God knows that's not for everybody, but it's not supposed to be because it's a crazy fantasy show. The Wire is one of the most realistic shows ever made. Its storytelling was meticulous. The writers and producers would argue constantly, not in an angry way, just in a passionate way, over every little turn in the story, trying to get it just right. One little thing that happened in, you know, Season 2, Episode 3 would pay off down the road in Season 4, Episode 8, something like that. Uh, these people that made the show were a collection of reporters, Baltimore cops, and novelists, which is a terrific mix if you're making a prestige TV show about a decaying city and the violence within it. Uh, I bet I could name 25 rich three-dimensional characters that debuted over the five seasons. They kept adding to it as they went, a staggering stable of characters in a continuously unfolding little world. Uh, you know, I'd say, oh, Omar's my favorite, and then Bunk would show up and do something, and then two seasons later, Cuddy and Slim Charles are introduced, and then Lance Reddick would, you know, say a swear word, and that'd be the super coolest thing you ever saw and then little dookie would come on screen and break your heart and on and on and on and on it went there's just an endless supply of amazing characters it feels like in the last few years the wire sort of gets lost in the conversation about great tv the sopranos is always in the conversation because it was first but then people jumped to the breaking bad madman era and then to game of thrones and now shows like stranger things that people fooled into thinking they know what a great tv show is but come on the wire puts almost all of them to shame still I'm ashamed to say that I have only ever watched one season of The Wire, and yeah. it was the fifth season. But you enjoyed it, right? I did, but my, by all, from what I understand, it's the worst season, is it not? Uh, yeah, but it's the, like it's that thing where you know the worst, the worst season of The Wire is still better than almost every other TV show you've ever seen. So yeah, it's it's really like that. But yeah, it is. It's they were, it, I think they got cut, like they. It was only 10 episodes. All the others were 12 or 13. So, yeah. And the guy has said if we had 12 episodes, we could have fleshed out some other stuff and made it a little bit better. Oh, okay. Well, uh, let me just see here. I'm looking at uh, – because he, if you have an HBO subscription, you can watch this all on demand. I'm on my phone right now looking at the Shaw app, and I, I can well, go home and watch yeah. all 60 episodes yeah. or whatever there are right now. Not that I would. 60 hours? People do that in a weekend sometimes, don't they? <laughs> yeah. They, they, well, they have those binge-watching competitions, yeah, right? there you go. Another thing that I love about The Wire, and we'll play samples of them here, is the theme song. They do a different version each season, right? Yeah, same song, but each season sung by someone else. You, what was the one that you did? Uh, I think that was the fourth season there. Well, let's find... Here's season one. This is The Blind Boys of Alabama. Looks like it's going to take a second to kick in here. Yeah, yeah, like this. If you walk through the garden. Okay, that's I like that. Season two is Tom Waits. Who wrote the song by the way? So this is the original version. Oh, really? When you walk through the garden, it's harsh. <laughs> yeah. You gotta watch your band. So much pain in that voice. Okay, this is season three, the, uh, the Neville Brothers. When you walk through the car, you gotta 
Okay, and so this is uh, the one that you did in a Dommage? I think so. Okay. Yeah. Just a recap. Season 4 is the best season, by the way. Yeah? For my money. Idris Elba was in The Wire, right? Yep. Okay. Now, this is probably because I only watched this season, so I... This is your favorite? <laughs> the Steve Earle one? The Steve Earle one for season five. And he played a character. When you walk through the garden... Wayland, the recovery drug addict. Yeah, and, and I, I, I realize I, I made a mistake in watching this show and having not watched anything yeah. previously because I didn't know who anybody was. <laughs> So I was able to kind of put it together that Omar was important for this and this guy was important for right, that. Right. But I was so I was lost. But all I don't the know newspaper guys were brand new that season, so you sort of had the perspective where when everyone's new, it didn't those guys didn't feel like oh they're the new ones. Where it was when I was watching it and everyone else was watching, it's like oh yeah, who are these guys? We don't know any of these guys. Yeah. So you come at a different angle like that, right? Yeah, I, I do need to watch this show. And as far as its Emmy recognition, we mentioned earlier, it's one of the best shows to have never. never been won. recognized, so yeah. it's never won. It got two nominations for writing for uh, the second last episode of season three, which uh, I actually just watched last night. Okay, a lot of stuff happens in that episode. That's a good episode, <laughs> okay. and then the series finale, the last episode of season five. And never been nominated for best drama. Nope, <sighs> never won for best writing. None of the actors ever got nominated, which is blows your mind. I haven't gone back to see what other stuff was winning those years, or but I bet we would just shake our heads. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, The Wire. Again, you can watch it all on demand if you have an HBO subscription. Five seasons of one of the best shows ever. And yet, it never got recognized by Emmy. Up next, a landmark show from Global, set to make its debut this weekend. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Brett McGarry, Jeff Braun, we are The Couch Potatoes. There is a new show debuting on Global this weekend, this Sunday night, which I earlier described as Landmark. I'll explain the why in a moment. First, the what. It's called Instinct. Can I have a volunteer? I will give you this bag filled with a million dollars if you punch me as hard as you can in my stomach. If he doesn't do it, I will. <laughs> so what does this tell us about human behavior? It's context-driven, meaning depending on the circumstances, we can be motivated to do almost anything. <laughs> Welcome to Abnormal Behavior. He punched his student in the stomach. Instinct is based on a book by James Patterson, which was previously published as Murder Games. Great title. It stars Alan Cumming, who plays an American, but I wish they would just let him use his Scottish accent. Sherlock Holmes captivated us from the beginning. When Arthur Conan Doyle's stories of the genius detective first appeared in the Strand magazine in 1891, circulation suddenly went up. Sherlock solved crimes like nobody else. He peered through his famous magnifying glass and discovered traces of evidence the police had missed. See how cool that is? He plays a former CIA operative in Instinct. He's now an author and university professor, living a quiet life, teaching psychopathic behavior to packed classes. But he gets sucked back into his old life when the NYPD pays a visit. A cop came to my class today. She wants my help. The kid was killed. The killer sent my books a clue. That's great news. Not the dead kid part. 
the part where you're going to do something to help get your mojo back. That was Whoopi Goldberg, by the way. But of course you knew that because who else sounds like that? And because I'm too lazy to write my own stuff today, here's the rest of the description at GlobalTV.com. When tenacious top NYPD detective Lizzie Needham appeals to him, it's funny that her name is Needham because she needs him. It's actually spelled N-E-E-D-H-A-M, but I'll, anyway. When tenacious top NYPD detective Lizzie Needham appeals to him to help her catch a serial murderer who is using Dylan's first book, Dylan, that's Cummings' character, Dylan Reinhardt, using Dylan's first book as a tutorial, Dylan is compelled by the case and comes out of retirement. Helping them is Julian Cousins, Dylan's invaluable CIA comrade, who rivals Dylan in brilliance and wit and can get top-secret dirt on anyone, anywhere, anytime. Lizzie's boss, Lieutenant Jasmine Gooden, is glad to see her best detective finally agree to work with someone on a case, since Lizzie has refused any partner since a tragic event one year ago. But as Dylan feels re-energized, tapping into his old skill set, his husband Andy is concerned that Dylan's breaking their pact about putting away his cloak and dagger for good. Though Dylan and Lizzie initially clash, when it comes to catching killers, they realize they will make an ideal team if they both trust their instincts. Detective Elizabeth Needham, NYPD. We have no lead, no witnesses. Your best-selling criminal theory book is about playing cards. This killer is using them. I was hoping you might have some ideas. May I? You have to really dislike someone to stab them this many times. We get to unravel the mystery. Figure out the rules of his game. Can I call you Professor Psychopath? While I may have a fascination with psychopaths, it does not mean I am one. Judging by the way you eat your pizza, I'm not so sure. Now on to the why this show is a big deal. Instinct a global show in Canada, but it hails from CBS in the United States, is historic because it's the first American primetime broadcast drama with an openly gay leading character. But he just happens to be gay. It's not like it's the focus of the show. It's not even mentioned in the trailer. He just happens to be gay in a same-sex marriage. That caught me off guard because there are many characters on television who are gay, but I didn't realize that none of them, at least in network primetime TV in the United States didn't realize that none of them were leading characters. The two characters that immediately jumped to mind for me are Mitch and Cam from Modern Family. That's because I really like that show and it's been a big part of my life for nearly a decade. Chances are there is a show you watch with at least one gay character. Here's an interesting stat from one of Instinct's writers, Michael Rock, his name, in a guest column for The Hollywood Reporter. He says, quote, In 2017, GLAAD, that's the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation, found that of the 115 primetime scripted broadcast series, there were 901 series regular characters and 58 were LGBTQ. That's up from 43 LGBTQ series regulars the previous year. The reasons why aren't just about correcting an underrepresentation or human decency. There are monetary benefits to be had as well. GLAD's Accelerating Acceptance Survey found that 20% of Americans aged 18 to 34 identify as LGBTQ. So it's the right thing to do, and it can be monetized. Everyone wins. End quote. Money talks, right? I mean, look at what we learned from Black Panther in terms of monetizing diversity. Last time I checked, 
The Marvel smash hit was at $574 million and counting in North America alone. Worldwide total? Nearly $1.2 billion worldwide. It has been the box office champion for four weeks. Could make it five if it can hold off the latest entry from Warner Brothers, Tomb Raider, this weekend. Here's another interesting entry from Michael Rock's column in The Hollywood Reporter. A little history. Almost 30 years ago, ABC's 30-something broke ground and became the first U.S. primetime broadcast drama to show two gay men in bed together in 1989. It took that long. The men weren't allowed to touch each other, and still, five of the show's regular sponsors pulled out. Since then, other broadcast dramas like My So-Called Life, ER, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Dawson's Creek, and Grey's Anatomy have blazed the trail, telling stories with queer supporting characters. I'm focusing, and this is Michael Rock speaking, I'm focusing solely on broadcast, scripted, hour-long dramas. Now here we are in 2018, also known as the golden age of television, but maybe not quite pure gold if you are different. That is the end of that quote from his column. I just, I find it weird as well that the safest of the American primetime networks, CBS, is the network to take this step. CBS is where you go to watch crime procedurals. CBS is where you go to watch sitcoms that generally aren't all that challenging. I say generally, not all of them, but in general. So good for them for taking this step, and good for Global for grabbing the Canadian rights to this series. Instinct debuts this Sunday, March 18th on Global. There will not be a serial killer in my city. Wait, is this like if we say it enough, it will be true? Oh boy. Are you supposed to have a partner? I have a bad history with partners. The last one nearly lost a tooth after he tried to stick his tongue down my throat. Oh! You're in big, big trouble. When you finished that first book, you had just left your other life. It's still there in you. You need to focus on doing what you're born to do. You read my book? No, what's it about? Abnormal behavior. I've always found that term a bit redundant. Me too. That's all the time we have. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. Get our podcast on Google Play and iTunes. And remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother.